From Revenue Rhino, I'm Brad Hammond, and this is the Lifelong Customer Podcast. Welcome to the Lifelong Customer Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Hammond, and today I have Saul from Fabric. Saul, it's really nice to have you on. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So thanks for joining today. To kick us off, can you tell me a bit about yourself as well as your company and who you are and what you're doing? Sure. Saul Garlick, born and raised in Denver, Colorado, went to college out east at Johns Hopkins, but really a lifelong entrepreneur. From when I was a kid, I was selling chapstick to my fifth grade friends. So always hustling, painting curves, washing cars. When I was in high school, started building websites, was interested in, I was selling vitamins online, just trying to do different things. And the idea wasn't even to make money. It was just, I liked creating things. But then I took a turn towards social impact and started a nonprofit when I was a senior in high school or an organization that became a nonprofit that I started in college and have been building different companies, nonprofits, for-profits for the last 20 years. My first major company was called Think Impact, which sent college and grad students to live and work in rural Africa and Latin America. Then I built a tech product for that, that I describe as an experiential learning management system that was called Unleash, that has helped over 150,000 international students on some part of their journey. Then I built a charter school network with a nonprofit organization in West Africa. And finally, I'm building Fabrics, which is a totally different tech story. So just a lifelong entrepreneur who loves building things and making a difference in the world. That's amazing. I love it. So tell me a bit about Fabric. What are you guys doing? What are you up to? We started Fabric with a general societal problem, which is that we're more interconnected digitally than ever before, but disconnected locally. And we wanted to figure out how to leverage technology to bring people together in real life. How do we use technology in a way, not in the way that dating apps are bringing people together to meet in moments or meeting apps are bringing people together for functions and events, but we wanted to find a way to nurture serendipitous connection in real life. How do you build trust in society, one in-person interaction at a time? That was sort of what we were looking to do. So what we did is we ended up building a product that uses mixed reality. So when you think of augmented reality in particular, you think of the digital assets that live between your phone, in our case, mobile phones, and the real world. So we looked at augmented reality or that digital asset as a bridge between two people And we started to build mixed reality products that were based on time and location. So if you were there at the right place at the right time, speaking back to the serendipitous concept, then you might meet new people. And so today, Fabric is a web platform that allows anybody to publish in real time, based on time and location, mixed reality experiences. And what's happened is as we've been working in this direction, we ended up realizing that the right place to start was really in sports because sports is the number one industry that brings people together. So if you bring people together at scale and Major League Baseball brings 80 million people together a year, NBA brings 22 million people together a year, and those are just for their live major events, you could use that as a means for making in-person connection possible. So we've now created a platform for teams, leagues, venues, and events to publish live in real time, mixed reality experiences that nurture shared experiences. That's very cool. I like it. 
So what what led you to decide, hey, I want to form a company in this area? What's the story of all that coming together? Startups are weird, right? So they come together in the most unpredictable ways. I was actually connected to my co-founder through a webinar that she was hosting. I joined mostly because I thought maybe one of my companies Unleashed could be a resource she would use. And my co-founder and I, at the time, we just stayed in touch. She got my name. We had some phone calls. Then I was in New York. When she was in New York, I was out there for a meeting. We ended up having a 30-minute breakfast, kept the conversation going. Then a couple months later, we were both in London randomly, totally randomly. One could say serendipitously. And we, were, we went to grab a drink on literally Valentine's Day in New York City, in London, sorry, in London, and sat down and she brought this idea that she had been noodling and she was really worried about the, dec- the decline of the social fabric in society. And she wanted to use technology to solve for that, but I didn't, I didn't have a sort of specific interest in starting another company. I just was riffing with her and proposed a bunch of ideas and she really liked my thought process and we ended up talking for six hours and she looked at me during that meeting. She said, you're going to start this company with me. And I, was ha- I had my hands totally full. I was still building the charter school network and it was going really well. That morning I had raised a substantial amount of money for the organization. So it was more celebratory about another organization than the idea of starting something new. But uh, Sarah, my co-founder, is persistent and very smart and she was right. And by July of 2018, she was in LA and we were incorporating a new business together. It was really a matter of going back and forth, having a conversation, no specific timeline on that conversation. And then it just became obvious that starting this company was the right thing for me and for her. And so we, we did it. And what really got me into it was a combination of things. Number one, the mission is important. I'm a mission-driven entrepreneur. So for me, solving this issue of declining social capital and weakening social fabric, resonated. Using technology is always exciting to me. I'm a technology guy. I love tech and I've been building in that world for a long time. But then it was also, it was also related to things I had been doing for 15 years at that point, right? I had been spending my career looking at how to create opportunity, equal access to opportunity for people all over the world. And I started to imagine that with this mixed reality solution or with cryptocurrency for social capital or whatever ideas we were riffing on, there might be a way to create new opportunities for people across the world. And that really excited me. That got me thinking, okay, good. I had some initial ideas going back a decade around geomapping assets and what's available to people in their communities. And I wanted to bring it all together and for the first time, I think, thinking through all this with Sarah, I saw a way to bring all of my passions and interests together, and it really made sense. And so then we just started working together. I love it. Awesome story. Thank Let's you. Let's talk about growing this company. What are some of the tactics and strategies you guys have used to go from idea to, hey, we have a company, and now we're growing it, we're getting customers all in? I'll give you my short version of how I think entrepreneurs should start and what we did and what we learned, right? Thing one is have a really clear problem on two levels, right? 
The first level is the big problem. What's the big purpose for your company in the world? And get clear on that. Because if you're trying to do something that's radically innovative, you're going to really need clarity on that North Star for the big purpose. And we had that from day one. Our mission, st our mission statement almost wrote itself. We want to create a world where everyone belongs. And it wasn't hard to understand that's why we existed. That was the driving force behind the idea. So getting clear on the big picture was important. But the second level problem is the problem for the customer. And this was something that we really worked on a lot and got sometimes way off and sometimes right, but it was constantly iterative. And at the time, what we were reading and noticing, and this is all before COVID, of course, was that at the individual level, there was rising loneliness, social anxiety, and depression, and people were experiencing more social isolation than ever in modern history, precipitated in part by technology, but also just by the way the rich world lives and all these kinds of issues. And we were really focused on understanding that problem. And you need to be clear on the problem. And that problem is going to help you understand your purpose and have a devotion to the problem, but not a solution. So out the gate, we were thinking about creating, I mentioned before, a cryptocurrency for social capital, a way for people to earn crypto, mutual earning based on an algorithm for helping each other out, for doing acts of neighborliness or good deeds. We even almost called the company Good Deed. And we found out that there were issues with that solution. And so being devoted to that solution was not the right approach. We were happy to drop the solution, go back to the problem and stay focused. So that was really critical. Once you're solving a problem for someone, once you're actually solving a problem for a customer, you will grow. And the deeper that pain or the more significant an impact you can make for your potential customer, the faster you will grow is the truth. Because there are a lot of bad companies out there that have grown really quickly because their product solves a real pain. And so I like to say that there are two kinds of companies. There are innovations that are guessing, right? We don't really know. We think we're solving a problem. We don't really know if this is the right way to solve a problem. And those businesses are really hard and fabric fit, fits into that bucket because you're building something people don't really understand. They're going to ask you like, what do you do? What are you actually talking about? And then there's the kind of business that plumbers create, which is like solves real problems right now that everybody needs to solve and are acute. And that comes typically from deep market insight. Maybe you have industry expertise and you're seeing a gap and you're saying, oh gosh, we really need that thing. I knew a guy who had a special like sort of rubber mat that you'd put on the side of an airplane to hold tools while you're doing mechanical work on airplanes. Okay, that's like an industry gap. Like you can't just have tools lying around. They can chink the armor. So he built that. So he knew something about the industry and he solved a problem. And he has a successful business for it. But I think there's like the innovation path and the like clear-cut problem industry expertise path. And tactically, we knew we were on the innovation path so we had to obsess over the problem and not the solution. By doing that and having a clear mission, you end up attracting good people, right? Because people want to work on problems. And I would say that the way that we've been able to grow is by being methodical about who we bring on and 
devoted to this central question of how we're going to solve this big problem. But yeah, I think those are the key strategies is getting that that clarity from day one. There is one other thing I want to encourage every entrepreneur to do, which is not in vogue and not what they teach you in VC incubator land, which is start building real systems on day one. There is nothing cool about having a fly by the seat of the pants entrepreneurial organization. There's nothing cool about sleeping under your desk, by the way, and it's totally unnecessary. So for the venture capitalists out there who think that you have to be 25 and ramen, top ramen, eating and sleeping under your desk, those VCs don't know what they're talking about. The key ingredient to successful entrepreneurship is having clarity around a problem and building systems so that you can at scale solve that problem because things are going to happen faster or slower than you think. So you need to be prepared for any eventuality and good foundational systems, whether that's managing your CRM or managing your cap table or managing your finances or managing your people or managing your product. Those systems will give you the ability to be successful no matter what is thrown at you. I love that. Great insights. So let's talk about the marketing aspect of this and content and LinkedIn and all this stuff. Has that played any role in what you're doing and getting the word out there and educating the market around this space and what you're up to? Yeah, so it absolutely has. We've taken, so let me rewind for a second because we did have some adjustments along the way that altered our content strategy. Early on, our first idea was to build what we described as a public messaging app in augmented reality that you could share a thought as a thought bubble overhead and it was all user-generated content. And if you were near the other person, you could look up through your phone and see the thoughts of those around you and tap and start a conversation. And we built a native app for that, iOS and Android. And it was a B2C play. We were just going to go and bring this to consumers. And it was like Twitter, thought bubbles in AR that you can connect with people based on time and location. That was really exciting, by the way. We had a fun concept there. But we launched the app at the end of February, early March, 2020. And so it became literally dangerous for people to connect in real life. And so we had to pivot. And so all of our content marketing about how this was going to be a new social network that would connect people in real life. And we did all this email lead gen and stuff was irrelevant, basically. We had to toss it out because we, there was no end in sight for when COVID would be over and it would be safe to promote fabric. So we pivoted and when we ended up focusing on sports, we really started to understand that we needed to, underst- that, that we needed to speak the language of sports and we need to communicate in circles where sports industry experts convened. And so we had a couple different passes at content, but once we got clear, we realized that we had to do a couple things. We had to build a LinkedIn presence that spoke to our audience, who our customer, like the buying customer, right? Not the end user necessarily. So we ended up becoming a B2B business. And so that shifted our content strategy and moved us to LinkedIn rather than Instagram or Twitter because we were a B2B play. Once we were there, we, were, we wanted to be very discerning about how we were producing content. We didn't want to just have a lot of nonsense up there. And personally, I'm not highly motivated by selfie posts. I just don't 
want to just be seen a lot. I don't care. So I wanted to figure out how to share the message of the company and what our value proposition was. And so we took a slow roll to it, but it's speeding up, right? As we're growing, as we're sharing articles and points of view, we're noticing that this is driving a ton of interest and people are reading our stuff. And the thing that's really interesting about our content to LinkedIn approach is that it's not a mass media approach. We're not trying to reach thousands and millions of readers. We're trying to reach the right readers. And so in working with major sports and entertainment properties, we only need to reach 500 key people to really be effective and to be part of the conversation and to be top of mind. Recently, what I've done is I've written very infrequently on two things. One, the category of business we're trying to create, which is the geospatial web. So I have created some series around it to basically educate the customer. So I've used content as an educational tool because we're innovating and we're creating something brand new. And second of all, when there is newsworthy announcements, I might opine on what I think that announcement means for the world. So for example, when Apple Vision Pro was launched, I analyzed it. I looked at what Apple Vision Pro was about and I came to some different conclusions than the market where everybody was like, this is something Magic Leap has been building for years and HoloLens has the same technology. And blah. I was like, no, everybody is missing the point. It's not just good marketing. Apple has a clear ambition here. They know what they're doing. Everybody's, what's the use case? I believe Apple wants to replace your television. That's why they call it the Apple Vision. And it's an at-home entertainment experience and they're probably going to win. And I wrote that and it was one of the more controversial or debated posts. But what it did is it planted me in the conversation as somebody who has a point of view and you can take it or leave it or engage me about it. But it's also tied to what we're doing with the geospatial web, with spatial computing, augmented reality, all while adding value and creating perspective for people. Absolutely. I love that. If you could go back in time and give your younger self a piece of advice, what would that advice be? Absolutely the most important piece of advice for my younger self and for really any entrepreneur is to think hard about what focus means and to stay focused. So focus as a word is thrown around as important, but actually understanding what focus means for your company and how to stay focused will make or break the success of the business. Absolutely. As we wrap up here, any final words of wisdom or remarks or advice you have for all those listening, your customers out there, listeners to this podcast, all that stuff. Yeah. So when we think about the, the experience of going to live events and we think about how people want to experience their world, we're looking at how technology can enhance that experience all the time. And the world is full of excitement and opportunity. And we as a society need to optimize that experience in two ways. Number one, we need to make it more efficient and make it more positive, make it a better experience. That's clear. That's the tech forward move. 
But the second thing is we need to make it more interconnected. We need to bring people together more meaningfully because a customer who feels connected, not just with the experience, but with the people they're experiencing it with are going to be more loyal. And so it's incredibly important that we find a way to balance interactions and relationship building and nurturing human connection while we continue to optimize the entire experience and both can happen at the same time. Absolutely. Totally agree. Saul, it's been amazing to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much for joining today and sharing all your wisdom and insights. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely.